ready. I wanted them to keep going. Wow, what a song. I think I told you a couple weeks ago that the author of that song, Andrew Peterson, has agreed to uh, come here in concert November 30th. November 30th this year. Fantastic. You won't want to miss that. He is a very talented young uh, singer and songwriter and godly young man, so I'm excited about that. Well, let's bow in prayer. Lord, you are worthy, and we come to worship you today because you are worthy. Help us to listen with hearts ready to believe, quick to respond. Help us to see Jesus and the glory of the cross. Help us to see our own weaknesses and our need of a Savior. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said along with Carol, Amen. Amen. It's a famous phrase. I'm sure you've heard of it. Etu brute. I heard of it before I had any idea of what it was, and a little research reveals it's from the writing of Shakespeare in the famous play Julius Caesar. The Roman dictator is being assassinated and several people around him actually stabbing him. And he looks up to see one of those assassins is his good friend, Marcus Julius um, Brutus. And so the phrase, et te, or et tu, Brute, means even you, Brutus? The one who once was a former friend has now become my enemy? Even you have betrayed me? And what a shock it was. Jesus, knowing everything, didn't say with surprise, even you, Judas? Because he knew Judas was going to do exactly what he did. But how about this one? Etu, Demas? Even you, Demas, my good friend? You're going to betray me? Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And as Catherine read just a moment ago, we're now in that section of Scripture which is so normal for any letter of any time in which you thank people, greet friends, make some notations, some final words of counsel, whatever it might be. And in this case, Paul mentions many different individuals. So he says to Timothy, beginning of verse 9, do your best to come quickly. Come to me, please, as soon as you can. If you go back to chapter 1, I think it's verse 4, he said the very same thing. Timothy, come to me. I need you. I want you here. So you've got a bit of inclusio. You include the whole letter with the beginning and the ending being identical. Come to me, Timothy, as soon as you can. And one of the reasons for that is found in verse 10. For Demas, because he loved this world, and the Greek word literally is age, because he loved 
this age has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Et tu? Dimas? Even you? To have a little more impact on what is happening in Paul's life is to go back and see the other two verses that mention the name of this once faithful servant of God. And so we think of the word attachment. I don't think our screen is working today, so write down, think in your mind, the word attachment. There was a sense of trust, a camaraderie that the two enjoyed. It's early 60 AD and Paul is in prison for the first time. It's house arrest and because it's house arrest Paul has a lot of liberty to continue to freely preach the gospel. The situation is well described in Romans or excuse me Acts chapter 28 the last two verses of the book of Acts. For two years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That is his first imprisonment. The result was what we read in Philippians chapter 4. When Paul was in prison, he wrote, All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Now you put two and two together and you come up with Paul for two years freely preaching the gospel to everyone who would come by, soldiers included, and people are being won to Christ. And maybe that's why they let Paul go. <laughs> they couldn't take him any longer. But in that first imprisonment, and we read this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, he writes this, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, is with me, and Demas, and we send you our greetings. So now this attachment that Paul has with Demas uh, might well be described with the word companionship. They were companions. Now Paul, even though he was free in many respects, was limited in others and needed people to bring him food and run his errands and perhaps that's exactly what Demas was doing. Perhaps Demas was his hands and his feet. He identified with Paul and to some risk to himself because to identify with a prisoner, especially one who is hated, means that you take on that offense. We're going to see this very clearly when we get to 2 Timothy. It wasn't quite as hostile in 1 Timothy, but it was still there. And Demas was willing to meet with Paul, who is one of his friends. There's only three verses that describe Demas. We've read two of them. The third one is in the small little book of Philemon. Where Paul writes to Philemon and he says, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke are my fellow workers. We're working together. We're co-laborers. We're partners in the business of the kingdom. So now they go on even deeper in their attachment from good friends supporting each other to co-laborers 
working with the same goal in mind, with the desire that other people would hear about Jesus Christ. And I think that some of those people who were won to Christ during Paul's first imprisonment probably were won to Christ through the agency of a servant of God who was called Demas. He was dependable. He was delightful. By the way, the name Demas means popular. And he might have had a degree of popularity and winsomeness in his ministry with the people of that day. Whatever Paul needed to be done, he had friends to do it, and Demas was counted as one of his best friends. Friendship is an amazing thing. If you have some close friends, you are richly blessed. If you don't have any close friends, pray that the Lord will send them. And maybe it's on you, right? He who would have friends must show himself friendly, says the old authorized version. But when we have friends, we have those who stick closer to us than a brother. Those who are born for times of difficulty and adversity. Those who might even willingly give their lives up for us. That's the greatest act of love and friendship to be found. And when we celebrate together the 4th of July, we look back to so many who were willingly willing to give up their lives so that you and I might have freedom. Isn't that an awesome thought? I love the scriptures that Pastor Doug read this morning about our responsibility to our country and our loyalty to God, although I thought it a bit ironic that if this were 1776 and we read all those verses about being loyal to the king, I'm not exactly sure what we would do. But that's a whole other discussion. But since that time, we have had thousands of people, men and women, who've given their lives so that we could be free. And the American flag bears the weight of their sacrifice. That's why it's a flag that should be honored, I think. You don't have to be from America to appreciate the sacrifice for freedom. And it was the same thing for the gospel. Paul is sacrificing his life, and now Demas is willing to sacrifice his reputation. So the good word of God will go out, and people can embrace Christ and be forgiven of their sins and be free, truly free indeed. Because civil freedom will only take us so far. You and I need spiritual freedom, and when the sun will set you free, you will be really free free indeed and Demas is right there doing the work Paul is released from his first imprisonment probably somewhere around 62 AD after staying there a couple years he ministers for about three years there's a fourth missionary journey that you never find on your Bible maps because it's Hard to trace, but it appears that during that time he wrote his first letter to Timothy and wrote the letter to Titus, both men who were in charge of congregations. Paul went around revisiting churches and then at some point was rearrested, probably in Nicopolis, the port city in the northern part of Greece, of Macedonia. And then Paul was taken to the Mamertine prison. And I have a beautiful picture of the Mamertine prison. 
Actually, it's quite a horrifying picture of a dungeon that was part of the city sewer system with a hole in the top. And you can still see it today. You can still visit that place today. And Paul was in that prison with every concept, every indication that he would not make it out alive, except for his ex execution. Far different than the first imprisonment. Now he's writing 2 Timothy, and now he's really suffering. It's not the ease of house arrest. We already read in 2 Timothy verse 9, Paul said, I'm su suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. And just last week from chapter 4 and verse 8, is it? I'm being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. Or verse 6. So Paul knew what it was to suffer. And in this dank prison, Paul's life was ebbing away. But he wouldn't die of natural causes. Tradition tells us he would be beheaded. But before, he wrote to 2 Timothy. And now his tune about Demas is totally different. <laughs> the one who was compa his companion and worked by his side. He now simply says in verse 10, chapter 4, he has deserted me. If you get on to verse 16, chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says at his first uh, trial, everyone deserted him. But now we have a name put together with that concept, and it was a name that shocked him. It's shocking to us when people who have been faithful to Christ leave the faith. Do you know anyone like that? I'm not just talking about leaving our church and going to another church. I'm talking about leaving the faith and leaving Christ. Maybe you've thought about doing it. It's nothing new. It's exactly what Demas did. And when word got to Paul, whenever it was, did he say, et tu, Demas? Even you? How could it be you? You who stood my, by my side, was my faithful companion, served in all of the ministries. Demas has deserted me. This is a very interesting Greek word. It's actually a combination of three words. In, down, leave. And it means to leave someone, to abandon someone in their time of need. So are we going to catch up? Oh, my screen is on. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I hope this isn't going out on the internet. <laughs> Keep going. Okay, I believe you. Actually, I would like to go back to... Okay, I'm just going to keep preaching, and if it comes on, that's fine. I have no idea where I am. <laughs> abandoned, right? Deeply attached, now abandoned. 
So this word that is a combination of three Greek words means to abandon someone in their time of need. By the way, it's used some, I don't know, dozen times in the New Testament, but here's one of its uses. Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To, to leave someone in their time of need, abandonment. It's also used of God saying to us in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor abandon you, forsake you. Isn't that a great promise? When all around you, people are giving way and giving in and quitting, isn't it great to know that God never will? In 2 Timothy, we were told, if we are faithless, he has to remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. It's an impossibility. Abandoned. The scripture tells us his destination. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has gone to the city of Thessalonica or Thessaloniki. Let me just say a thing about the city first before we say something about the reason why he left. The city of Thessalonica, Thessaloniki, was a, a busy port city in the northern part of Macedonia, not too far from Philippi. And it was in that port city, there we go. Now this is a modern picture of Thessaloniki, but you can see out into the port. And across the bay is Mount Olympus. And in Paul's day, this city probably had 200,000 people who lived in it, which means a busy port, busy port city with a large population would have all kinds of temptations and all kinds of offerings that the small city would not have. And so Demas went to that city. Why did he go? What does the text say? Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Did you get that? He gives us the reason. Demas loved the world. By the way, this is the Greek word agape, which is the same love that Christ has for us when he dies, which means a passionate, deep-seated love. It's the same word that is used back in chapter 4, verse 8. Look up at verse 8. Paul said, I'm going to get a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day, but not just to me, to all of those who love his appearing. I think the NIV uses the word fond, but again, you don't realize the connection. The word love, agape, is used in verse 8, just like it is used in verse 10. And here, beloved, are our options. We either love Jesus and the coming of his kingdom, or we love this world and this present age. The Germans have a word for it, the Zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. Some people love the spirit of the age and all that goes with it. And it's very hard to follow Christ when you're torn away by the world. After all, James tells us you're a spiritual adulterer if you love the world. Because no one can love God 
and love the world at the same time. When you choose to love the world, you become God's enemy. Or how about this from 1 John chapter 2? Don't love the world or anything in the world. Whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, not from the Father, it's from this world. And this world is passing away. Get that. This world is temporary. God's kingdom is eternal. I love his appearing because when he comes, he brings his kingdom. Or no, no, I love this present age and I'm just going to chuck it all, leave Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, we have these words. You were running so well. Who cut in on you? It's the concept of the race. Remember Paul just said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished my race. And in another place, Paul says, you were running so well, and then someone cut in on you, something distracted you, and you stopped running. That's what happened to Demas. Apparently, he served the Lord outwardly, but he loved the world inwardly. And no one knows your heart except God. You can fool yourself, even. But no one knows your heart except God. You can develop a consistency of life that's a true reflection of your heart and that's great. Or you can live in such a way that you fool everyone else and you're a Demas. And at some point when it gets too hot, you're out. Who do you love? That's the real question. If one of Paul's assistants became weary and discouraged and afterwards drawn away by the mere vanity of the world, take heed, you who think you stand, lest you fall. You see people falling all around you and you say, that would never happen to me. Take heed. It's only by the grace of God you're still standing. It's only by the grace of God you still love Christ. Take heed. It is said, never write a, a person's epitaph until they're six feet under. That's good counsel. These people write their biographies when they're in their 30s or 40s. How ridiculous is that? You're at best halfway. How are you going to finish? What if someone cuts in on you and you blow the whole thing? That'll be volume number two. Demas, Demas, has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Colossians 3, don't set your affections on things above, uh, below, set your affection on things above where Christ is. And Paul said in chapter 2, verse 4, don't get entangled in the affairs of this life so that you can please the one who called you to be a soldier. The spirit of the age got a hold of him instead of the Holy Spirit. Is he a true convert? That's an interesting question. <clears throat> Only God knows. There are some genuine believers who fall away outwardly, but inwardly they're genuine believers. But often when people fall away outwardly, they're revealing their true character. It was John who said in 
1 John, they went out from us because they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us to show that they were not really of us. How sad is that? Have you ever heard the word turncoat? I'm sure you have. It's interesting. The word turncoat probably started back in the 1200s. When two barons changed their loyalty from the Earl of Pembroke to uh, King John, I believe it was. And they turned <clears throat> their coat of arms from one family to another. They turned their loyalty from one lord to another, which meant they now would present a different coat of arms. They turned their coat. But in my mind, and especially when you think about July 4, I think of maybe the greatest turncoat of all time is Benedict Arnold. Right? Benedict Arnold. Major general in the Continental Army of the 1750s. He's an interesting guy because he acted early on with great intelligence and bravery. It was because of Benedict Arnold that the Continental Army held together, at least humanly speaking, you could say. He was amazing in his capture of Fort Ticonderoga in 1775, amazing and heroic in uh, the Battle of Ridgefield. He was promoted to Major General because of that particular battle. And the battles around Saratoga in which we captured some armament that helped us defeat the British in Boston all due to this amazing general. Notice he's wearing a blue coat. This next picture shows him among some other generals. And he had one flaw, maybe more than one, but one that was rather obvious. He really wanted the fame and he really wanted the money and he felt like he wasn't getting enough of either. He felt unappreciated, overlooked for promotion. Others were taking credit for his accomplishments he ended up marrying into a loyalist family Peggy Shippen the Shippen family and her best friend happened to be a British general major general by the name of John Andre the chief of all the spies John Andre uh, met Benedict Arnold and they began to talk Washington was so pleased with Benedict Arnold that he put him in command of West Point, and the British offered him 20,000 pounds to give it up to the British, West Point. And Benedict Arnold, talking to John Andre, agreed to surrender the fort. John Andre is walking with the plans in his boot and just happens to be caught by American militia. Just happens to be, and they find out who he is because he's not dressed like a soldier, and find out the plans and find out Benedict Arnold is a traitor. John Andre is hanged. Benedict Arnold escapes. And what does he do? Next picture. He gets a commission from the British. And he's now a brigadier general of the, of the army he was once fighting against. 
He led raids into Virginia. He burned much of London, Connecticut to the ground. And get this, in the Battle of Groton Heights in Connecticut, when the American soldiers were defeated and surrendering, he had his troops slaughter the surrendering soldiers. Unheard of in war etiquette of that day. By the way, that town was just a few miles from where he grew up in Connecticut. And his name became synonymous with treason. His name became synonymous with traitor. He moved back to London and was quite surprised that many people looked at him with disfavor. Because after all, who can trust a traitor? <laughs> and he died in great disillusionment. And great disappointment. You see, how in the world could he once love and fight for a cause and then quickly turn away from that cause? Because he loved something else. He loved something more. I'm not sure exactly what it was, whether it was self or, or, or fame or money, which he was given a lot of from the British. But he loved something more than loyalty. And Demas loved something more than Jesus. It was this present age. One of the worst things in our church is that you and I love this world too much. Now I'm not talking about God so loved the world, the people in it, that he gave his son to save it. I'm talking about you and I love the spirit of this age too much to say no to the things of this world, and yes, to our Savior, Jesus Christ. What's the redeeming fact in all of this? It's simply this. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we've strayed, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, if we have strayed, we can come back by the merciful grace and forgiving, wonderful power of Christ and be restored. And that has happened. Only God knows the heart of Benedict Arnold. Only God knows the heart of Demas. And only God knows your heart. What do you really love today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would keep us from ever being unfaithful to you. That's not our heart's desire. And yet we battle within, often with two loves. Love for self and yet love for you. Love for the things of this world and love for the things of your kingdom. Help us to faithfully choose Christ. To choose you. Forgive us for our times of unfaithfulness and disloyalty. Forgive us, Lord, for not loving you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Forgive us for our divided loves. And we are so thankful today that we can come to the cross and find forgiveness and restoration and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
open your hymnal to hymn number two. Hymn number two. And just as Pastor Doug said earlier, just a reminder that tonight is our communion service. And so we encourage you to participate in that tonight. King's Brass Concert is coming up on July 28th. So we encourage you to come to that. It'll be during our evening service time. We have a special event coming up on the 26th of July. It's a night of putting and ice cream. It's an outreach event. We encourage you to be a part of that. It's a special benefit to the Lansing Rescue Mission. Always, each and every week, we encourage if something you've heard today, maybe the Lord's been spoke to you in a way, the Holy Spirit just convicted you about something and you'd like to receive prayer and pray with someone, we'll have prayer partners here at the front of the platform to pray with you. So please, after the service is over, come on down. And, and they'll be willing to pray with you. Would you stand with me? Open the hymnal to hymn number two. Let's sing that third verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be Let thy goodness like a fetter Find my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, we thank you again for bringing us here together to worship your name, to give you praise. Lord, we don't want our hearts to wander. Lord, I pray that this week we'll feel that special conviction to focus our attention on you, to give you glory in every step that we take and every word that we speak. We'll let our heart resonate with your love, love to you and to those around us. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.